So let's turn now uh, for uh, the comfort of the gospel in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 5. We're, we're doing this series, if, if you're just joining us, we've been looking at how Hebrews tells us that Jesus is greater. Uh, Jesus is greater than all the, the, the sort of systems and the, uh, the things that the Old Testament was pointing to um, and, and was, was being a placeholder for uh, how Jesus would come. Uh, that include the, the angels, that included uh, Moses, that includes the law, that includes even the priesthood. Uh, as we as we see here in these verses, so uh, you've been standing for a while. I just want to invite you to remain seated. I'm going to read verses 11 through uh, 14 in Hebrews chapter five. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, uh, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let me pray for us. Lord, we give you thanks for your word, for how it instructs us in what is good and evil, how it can mature us and grow us. Lord, we pray that uh, you would equip us uh, with solid food, that we could, that we could move on from, uh, from just milk. And Lord, that you would make us mature disciples that, uh, that accurately reflect you in increasing ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> when I get to these um, blunt words uh, in, in depth here in just a second, but I wanted to let you know that uh, this past uh, Thursday, the staff uh, got together uh, over at Ridgeview Park, and, and Stephanie Whitehill joined us to, to do updated uh, pictures for the website for the, the staff. You know, um, people who want to know more about Tabernacle, they're going to typically go to, you know, about us and want to know who's, who's in charge of this circus. So uh, they, they uh, get to see our, our, you know, mugs. Anyway, uh, it was not, let me just say, it was not uh, lost on us that this past Thursday when we did the pictures was, was, was May the 4th. If any of you know the significance of, of that day, that was not lost on the staff, and I'll just leave it at that as a little teaser to go and, and check out the website when those, when those new updated pictures uh, get posted. Uh, so we, we, had, we had a little bit of fun. Um, now listen, some of you uh, OG Star Wars fans who, who, who really do know the, the whole saga very, very well, and, and the original movies in particular, um, you know about how impatient Luke was to become a Jedi, and how uh, Obi-Wan tells him, well, if you're going to become a Jedi, here's what you got to do. You got you to zip off in your, in your, your fancy, snazzy X-Wing to Dagobah, and you got to meet Master Yoda, and then Master Yoda is going to teach you the ways of the Force so that, you know, you, you can become a, a Jedi. Um, and, and it's really, you know, Yoda is the one who's going to help Luke uh, access what is um, transcendent, what, what is sort of supernatural, like the force, right? Um, and, and in this sense, Yoda, like, um, like all of the, 
the, the good sort of wizards or priests in the stories. Um, he's the one helping Luke, you know, grow in this way. Um, now, now, sadly, instead of, um, instead of taking the time and, and, and doing the discipline and, 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 and taking that long path to, to maturity to become a Jedi, um, Luke reveals himself to be an impatient punk, you know, a whiny boy. And he decides, no, I don't have time for this, uh, Master Yoda. And, uh, you, you, you know, this is nuts. This is dumb. This is foolish. And I got to go because uh, I've got more important things to do. So um, just a little window from our uh, cultural uh, awareness and, and some of the stories that we tell of the role of a priest in our lives. Yoda's this mediator between Luke and, and how he is to grow in his experience and in his um, character of, of somebody who's maturing, you know, with what's real, what, what ultimate reality is. And, and, and there is an, a person who's the intermediary for that. And then we get to, to this passage in Hebrews, um, the, the author's laboring in chapters five, six, and seven to help the readers, us, you know, even centuries later, to come to grips with our need to, to mature uh, our need for, for growth, our need for a priest to help us do that. Now, um, we're going to look at this, these verses and, and see how they, they talk about uh, how good it is to be a teachable teacher, uh, how good it is to have a maturity mindset, to have as our goal uh, growth as disciples, so that we want to have uh, a mature mindset that's going to lead to a growth goal. And, and, and this happens as we, as we take these blunt words to heart. They're not easy to read. They're not flattering. Uh, Hebrews isn't here to say, hey, you're great. Keep it up. You know, it's going to say, hey, you've got some work to do. Uh, all of us do. Uh, and one of the things that, um, that, that it begins by um, pointing out is that we're reading these verses in context. So Ed was here last week leaving me with the unenviable task of trying to explain Melchizedek to everybody. Thanks, Ed. I'll have some words with him later about that. Um, and, he, and, he, and he begins by saying, look, um, about this, we have much to say. Uh, the, the this in verse 11 is Christ's priesthood. Uh, the, the priesthood that Jesus fulfills. So if you go, if you still have your Bible open in chapter five, look at verses one and following it talks about every high priest chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Uh, but Jesus, in verse 9, is the perfect priest. Being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Um, the, the, the the point that the author of Hebrews is, is belaboring here is how much we need a priest. Um, the, the Old Testament priesthood points to this. The world needs priests. Uh, and the Old Testament priesthood is pointing us to, to Jesus, the high priest that the whole world needs. You, you and I spend a lot of time um, in front of people, uh, in front of family members, in front of of uh, work associates uh, in, in front of neighbors and even uh, candidly in front of the mirror, <laughs> uh, posing and pretending uh, that we have our act together. 
that, that we don't have faults, that we don't have flaws, that we don't have shortcomings. Uh, we want to present ourselves as people who are competent, uh, reliable, uh, trustworthy, and, and, and perfect, you know, without flaw. Why would, why, why would we ever want to ask forgiveness for something when we can fake it? <laughs> and and this, is, this is sort of our, our human condition. And this is why we need a priest. Because while we're pretty good at faking it in front of other people, we can't fake it in front of God. And we're all gonna stand before God one day. I don't know when, I hope it's not soon for any of us, right? But we're all mortal. And we're all gonna stand before God and, and, we're, and we're not gonna be able to fake it. And we're not gonna be able to hide the flaws. We're not gonna be able to cover up the faults. We're not gonna you know, be able to mask the failures, the, the sins that we'll be held accountable for. This is why we need a priest. We need somebody who's gonna stand in our place. We need somebody without faults, without flaws, without failures, without sins to represent us. And this is Jesus, the, the righteous one, the, the high priest we need. And, and Hebrews tells us that we have much to say about this. And he's right. He's going to go on for another two chapters about Jesus, our Melchizedekian high priest. Yeah, I said that. I said that word. I made it up, actually. I don't know if that's a word. Our Melchizedekian high priest. And, and, and to some of you, you're like, that sounds so crazy. And, and just like, why do I need to know about a high priest, let alone this person I've never heard of before, Melchizedek? What's his, word? What's his name again? Yes. This is eternally relevant. If you don't know who Melchizedek is, you need to know who Melchizedek is because Melchizedek points us to Jesus. We'll talk about, we'll talk about him in, in the weeks to come. But um, this, we have much to say. Yes, chapters five, six, and seven. Here's how chapter seven ends. This, this long discourse in the middle, three chapters in the middle of Hebrews ends with how the law appoints men and their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is Jesus. And the point is, in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. We have that perfect representative who took our sins away on the cross, who made that sacrifice to take our sins and, and remove them from us as far as the east is from the west, and to present us flawless before the throne of God so that through Jesus, we actually pass that inspection. The Lord might declare, well done. Um, I, I see beauty in you, right? Uh, all, all through Jesus, our high priest. But, um, but the Hebrews is saying, you, we, we have much to say about this and, and it's hard to explain, meaning there's, there's depth to this we need to put our thinking cap on. You need to put your, that big deep sea diver bell helmet on. I don't know. We're going to take a deep dive. And you need to hang in there um, since you've become dull of hearing. For by, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need somebody to teach you again 
the basic principles of the oracles of God. So what, what Hebrews is saying, this is important. Pay attention uh, to what I'm about to say. Uh, don't, don't be the impatient, you know, Padawan, a Jedi apprentice who's a whiny punk and, and says, I don't have time for this. Hang in there and, and, and we're going to do a deep dive. Don't become dull of hearing. We've got a lot to learn. And this is, this is why, um, and it's not so new to us. In fact, you know, um, when we talked about Star Wars and, you know, Yoda is this sort of priest, wizard person, but all the good stories have somebody like this who's who's mediating between like the protagonist and ultimate reality and teaching and helping uh, the, the, the characters we're rooting for, helping them to grow, helping them to overcome. And so, you know, whether that's uh, Obi-Wan and Yoda or maybe that's Dumbledore or maybe that's Gandalf. You know, it's, it's the person who interestingly <clears throat> looks like a priest, even the whole, you know, culturally appropriate wizard garb, you've got the robe and the vestments, and, and you've got these sort of sacred objects, you know, a staff or an orb or, or, or something, you know, that's set apart and, and gives the, the wizard, the priest, sort of this access to what's holy and sacred and transcendent. So we, we, it's, it's, it's baked in to our cultural literacy to need a priest, even though that may seem like a really foreign concept to so many of us. Unless you grew up Catholic, then maybe you've got a little bit more of a head start than most of us. But look, this is important. We, we need a priest, not a human priest, or not just any human priest. We need the human priest who's also not only fully human, but fully God, the one who's perfect in every way. Um, so this is the... The, the priest that Hebrews is, is recommending to us, and it's why Hebrews is telling us we need to grow in our understanding of the priesthood because this is key to us, not only learning, but, but to being able to teach others. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that what Hebrews is telling us? So in verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, uh, you, you need to be taught. He's saying, look, the goal, one of the goals of our discipleship ought to be that we aspire to be able to teach others about Jesus. So this is a good place to pause and just do a little, little inventory, a, a little bit of um, you know, self-analysis. Have, have I reached a point uh, in my relationship with Jesus and my knowledge of who he is? Um, if you call yourself a Christian, if you say you're a disciple of his, do you know him well enough to commend him to other people? Do you, do, you, do you know him that well that, that you can introduce other people to Jesus and say, can I, can I tell you about Jesus? And that doesn't mean you need to be eloquent and have all the right words and all the right phrases and be able to preach a sermon and all that stuff. You don't have to go to seminary to do this. But you do have to know him. And you do have to know about him. Can you, can you tell other people about Jesus? Do you... Can you at least have a conversation with somebody else about who he is and what he did? What his life was about, what his death was about, what his resurrection was about. And if you're not comfortable having that conversation, that's a good goal. That's a growth goal. To, to be a teachable teacher. I want to learn and then I want to pass that learning on you know, to my neighbors and my family members and my friends and, and, and ultimately the nations. Do you know him 
well enough to teach others about them? And do you know them well enough to know that you can never know enough about them? Do you know them well enough to know, okay, this is lifelong. And not just this life, but the next one too. He's eternal. We're finite. And we're never going to stop learning and growing in our knowledge of him. We need to be the kind of disciples that grow in our knowledge of Jesus and, and develop deep, um, lifelong convictions about who he is and what he's done, uh, and, and, and that those convictions would, would be so deep and, and strong that, that there's things that, frankly, are worth dying for. And at the same time, be the kinds of disciples that are humble enough and curious enough to know that I don't know everything. And I've got a lot to learn, right? That, those two things are intention. Men and women of deep conviction with steel in our spines and men and women of deep humility and curiosity that know enough to know that we don't know at all. And we're still learning. Teachable teachers um, is one of the goals of our discipleship because uh, that's going to lead us to having a maturity mindset. I think if, if we have it all figured out, then we don't need instruction anymore. That means we don't need to learn anymore, which is actually the opposite of what the word disciple means. Um, in, in the original language, it just simply means a learner. Uh, a disciple is an apprentice, somebody who's coming alongside to learn a trade or learn you know, uh, uh, some knowledge and stuff. And so that disciple is a learner. And if you've stopped learning, you've stopped being a disciple. That, that's not to be true of any Christian. Um, so we're not going to go that route. Instead, we want to develop a, a learner's um, you know, mindset, not a fixed mindset, a, a growth mindset, which uh, isn't new uh, in terms of something that, that uh, um, the, the Bible is giving us some brand new revelation. Like People understand this even in our culture, uh, and, and all truth is God's truth. So when you come across psychologists saying, hey, there's a difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, we go, oh yeah, I've heard about that. And that's an echo of what God's revealed in his word, that we're to be people who have a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. But I do think we get some help um, from, from psychologists who make this their, their full-time life's work is to figure out how do we learn stuff? Um, one, one psychologist, her name is Carol Dweck, made popular this whole distinction between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. She wrote a book called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. I'm not here to up here to give you a bunch of psychology. I'm here to give you the Bible. But when psychology and the Bible agree, that's good stuff. And she writes that if you have only a certain amount of intelligence, uh, a certain personality, and a certain moral character, well, then you'd better prove that you have a healthy dose of them. It simply won't do to look or feel deficient in these most basic characteristics. She's, she's talking about the fixed mindset that believes that my intellect is fixed, my, my character is fixed, that I'm, I'm working with a zero-sum game and, and this is what I've got and I've got to make the most of it. Instead of a, a growth mindset that says, no, there's new things that, that can come. And that fixed mindset, uh, she says uh, that she's seen so many people with this one consuming goal of proving themselves in the classroom, in their careers, in their relationships, and, and that every situation calls 
for a, a confirmation of their intelligence, their personality, or their character. And every situation is evaluated. Will I succeed or fail? Will I look smart or dumb? Will I be accepted or rejected? Will I feel like a winner or a loser? That's the fixed mindset that says, you know what, how I present myself in, in this situation is going to justify me or it's going to leave me unjustified as a person. And that's just the gospel. That's where are you looking, where, where are we looking for our identity? Where are we looking for our rightness and our righteousness? And the fixed mindset says I have to look within myself at the fixed amount of stuff that I've got to work with. And I either get to justify myself in front of other people or I fail and I'm, I'm not worth living and I can't justify my existence. And that's where the gospel speaks to us. And that's where Jesus comes with his good news to say, it's not a fixed mindset. It's a growth mindset. We're called to change. We're called to be new creations. We're, we, we are in a supernatural environment, not a fixed environment, where God gives us graces and he comes from outside to invade us and make us new and to give us gifts and to help us grow. And that's really the, the, the beauty of the growth mindset uh, that shows us how to be disciples. The disciples' mindset listens to what Peter says uh, in 2 Peter, where he says, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, don't get carried away with the error of thinking you have to justify yourself through your own abilities and this sort of fixed view of you know, your personality and your gifts and your, your, your deeds, your works. Instead, grow in the grace that God extends to us through the gospel. Grow in the grace that God extends to us through, through Jesus. Um, one of the books that uh, has meant a lot to me is a book called Resilient Ministry, which was a study of a bunch of pastors, um, very, very exhaustive. And uh, they said that in our work with pastors, we've come to define spiritual formation as the ongoing process of maturing as a Christian. That that's what we're called to. As, as a pastor, I'm called to that, to an ongoing process of spiritual formation, and, and, and that all of us, uh, those who are leading and those who are part of the congregation, all of us are called to a, a, an ongoing process of spiritual formation. So how does this help us? Um, if, you, if you adopt a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset, it's going to mean the world to you when you face uh, difficulty. When difficulty comes our way, we have kind of two choices of how we're going to look at that. Um, I'll, I'll direct you back to, to what uh, Ed was showing us last week in verse 8 of chapter 5, where there was this kind of curious uh, thing that, that um, Hebrews says that although Jesus was the son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And we kind of pause and we go, wait a minute, how did Jesus need to learn something if he was already perfect? Well, it was, Ed was saying it was fulfillment, right? Fulfillment, not, not, um, not any deficiency in Jesus. And the fixed mindset says, wait a minute, um, if I'm suffering, that must be because I've failed, um, it's my fault, and, and God is uh, punishing me, or this is some kind of retribution or something punitive. That's, that's where the fixed mindset's going to lead you. I've messed up, I've failed. That's why I'm suffering. 
But the growth mindset looks at this and says, no, 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 I'm suffering because I've got something to learn and God wants me to mature. He's growing me the same way that, that Jesus was perfected through the things that he encountered that were difficult and, and painful. And, and this, this isn't new either. We know this instinctively as well. How, how do we grow? When, when, do, when are the periods of real, genuine development in our character, when do those things happen in our lives? It's not when, uh, when things are great. You and I don't really change when things are very, very smooth and predictable and easy. But the way that we, we learn to love more, uh, the way that we grow in our love is when we encounter people who are difficult to love. That's, that's when you build like love muscle is when you have to exercise that muscle. When, when you're straining to love because it's hard to do it. Uh, the, the same is true for forgiveness. I, it's, e- it's easy to forgive somebody if, you know, they do something accidentally. It's easy to forgive somebody if you don't know them. You know when it's hard to forgive? When they hurt you on purpose. It's hard to forgive when somebody you love betrays you. But that's when you grow. That's when we learn how to forgive. Um, look, it's easy, to be, it's easy to be patient when everything's coming fast and furious. Uh, it's hard to be patient when you have to wait. It's hard to be patient when it just feels like eternity before that thing you long for bears fruit. Look, we, we, we get this way of, of believing and assuming that, um, you know, hey, I love Jesus, I'm walking with him, and uh, I'm part of this church, and, and we want to reach our community, we want to reach our neighbors, we want to reach the nations, we want to do uh, great ministry, we want people to know Jesus, we want people to come into our church and be saved, we want to plant more churches, we want to do great things for God and expect great things from God, and, and we forget sometimes that God is not only interested in working through us, Uh, He wants to work in us. He wants to grow us. And a a growth mindset says, yes, please. Yes, please. Jesus says in Luke 6 that if you love those who love you, (laughs) what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. But love your enemies and do good and you will be sons of the Most High. You'll be like your Father in heaven for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So going back to the the growth mindset, right? Back to that book. Why waste time proving over and over how great you are when you could be getting better? Like why hide deficiencies instead of overcoming them? Why look for friends or partners who will just, just you know, shore up your, your self-esteem instead of ones who will also challenge you to grow? And why seek out the tried and true instead of experiences that will stretch you? The passion for stretching yourself and sticking to it, even or especially 
when it's not going well is the hallmark of the growth mindset. This is the mindset that allows people to thrive during some of the most challenging times in their lives. This is a lifeline to us because difficulties are going to come and if we're going to hold on to Jesus, we cannot have a fixed mindset. It will be too much to, to endure. A growth mindset says, huh, God loves me in this and he's, he's growing me through this. Um, and, and that comes to the, the growth goal, the difference between a life of um, trying to live off of baby food versus uh, living off of rich food. And the gospel offers us the rich food of Jesus, um, and that's why the author of Hebrews is saying, look, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. We want to grow up, right? We don't want to be unskilled in the word of righteousness. We, we want to develop skills and maturity, and we want to grow into, uh, into adults. Uh, maybe you've, you've already picked up today or, or in previous weeks, we keep saying things like the author of Hebrews or the writer of Hebrews. We don't really know who wrote this book, um, but one of the reasons why some people think it's Paul is because there are ways that Paul um, communicates in other of, of his letters and the way that, um, that the, the book of Hebrews sounds. And this is one of those places because listen uh, to 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul says, uh, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Uh, Paul's talking to a church that's got a lot of strife and jealousy and party factions, uh, divisions in the church. And some are saying, I follow Paul. Some, some are saying, I follow Apollos. He's saying, you're acting like babies. <laughs> You know, you, you need to grow up. You, you need solid food, not milk. Um, and so this leads us to the question, based on 1 Corinthians 3 and here in Hebrews 5, uh, what are we feeding on? If, we're, if, our, if our goal is to grow, if we want to be teachable teachers, uh, we need to ask ourselves, what's my spiritual diet? And if my spiritual diet uh, is simply, you know, my, my social media feed, if I'm just getting a steady diet of Instagram and, and Twitter, even if you're following uh, wonderful godly people, you know, and, and oh, here's a good verse, you know, thanks for that reminder. Here's an inspiring quote, thanks for that. Here's a Jesus meme, thanks for that. That is no substitute for having your nose in this. It's not the same. It's baby food. And it's not, it's not rich food. Or like, you know, Paul's addressing those that follow, some say I follow Paul, some say I follow Apollos. Like if your worldview is being shaped by, by, by the, the media, by the news feeds, you know, Fox for some of you, CNN for some of you, if you're saying I follow CNN or I follow Fox, you are going to be malnourished. If those are the principal ways that your worldview is being shaped, your view of reality, your view of, of other people, those people and us, you are going to be emaciated spiritually. You are doing harm to yourself and harm to our brothers and sisters. We need the rich spiritual food of the Bible. This book needs to shape our worldview. This book needs to shape our view of other people. 
And everything else is, is baby food. Anything else is going to leave us malnourished. Um, when Paul was, you know, kind of saying, hey, look, guys, don't act like children and stop with all the jealousy and bickering, he, he concludes by saying, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ. Maturity means that our Jesus looks more like the one we see in the Bible and less like the one that, you know, the different parties in the culture are all espousing. Uh, when, when, when Eugene Peterson was writing about the, the long obedience in the same direction, the, the growth mindset of a disciple, he, he prayed, rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the Spirit. And what, you know, what we're, we're taking away from this is the, the observation that every single person that we meet, not just at Tabernacle, not just in Waynesboro, not just you know, anywhere you go, but all over the world, every single person is a learner, Every single person is a disciple. Every single person is being instructed. And, and so the question really isn't, are you a disciple or not? The question is, who is discipling you? And that's our question for ourselves. Who is discipling me? Am I hearing the voice of Jesus or am I listening to a bunch of talking heads? And the only way to really hear the voice of Jesus is to sit with him. Solid food, verse 14, is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Uh, There's this beautiful vision of of what's ahead for all um, who are disciples of Jesus. This feast that he's preparing, Revelation describes it as a wedding banquet. um, And in Isaiah 25, It's this mountain on which the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Maturity means that we pursue that long obedience, that we, we wait for the Lord's rich food and aged wine, even when other things seem to offer us more immediate relief. We trust that the main meal of of what God is offering us is going to be worth the wait. We don't go uh, out to eat, uh, out to a Mexican restaurant. You you know, I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it. You fill up on the chips and salsa before that beautiful burrito comes, and then you don't have any room for it. Or you go out and you 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 just glut yourself on the the bread basket before that sizzling sirloin comes out, and you don't have any more appetite for it. So as we're growing and and seeking to to embrace more of Jesus, we want to wait for what God provides. Maturity means that we wait. Maturity means that we can distinguish good from evil. And what's implied here is that that that's not, you know, we're not just waiting for what is good, but that we can recognize what is good. And sometimes that's hard to do. 
Choosing what is good is not always um, going to be what's popular. Choosing what is good is not always going to be um, profitable. Uh, it's not always going to be pragmatic. That's not how we measure good from evil. Even though the world says, yeah, look at what is going to make you more money, what's going to make you more friends, what's going to be easier to do. The only way that we learn how to discern good from evil, to mature in this, is to get to know the one who declares what is good and what is evil. That's, that's, that's the, at the end of the day, it's what God says is good and what is evil that determines what is good and what is evil. How can you know God's heart? By getting to know Jesus better. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he told his disciples. When his disciples thought that they knew what was, what was good politically, right? Jesus warned them against the evil of playing by the world's power rules. And when the disciples thought that it was good for Jesus not to suffer, you know, no, 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 that may never be so. Jesus warned them against the evil of, of Satan's lies, you know, to, you, you shouldn't have to suffer. And when the disciples were, were wowed by all the, the miracles and the crowds, Jesus warned them against the evils of just sort of superficial spirituality. Instead, Jesus came to them and said, I am the bread of life. I am the food you need in order to mature, in order to grow. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died, but this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. There is a kind of nourishment that is not going to lead to life. Jesus says, I am the bread that will give you life. You need more of me. Maturity means that we recognize that there's, there's no uh, richer food than, than the bread of life. And so when we come to the Lord's table today, we're praying that Jesus will continue to reveal more of himself to us, and we're praying for humble, uh, curious hearts that want to learn more about our, our great high priest. We don't want to have a, a fixed mindset about Jesus. We want to have a growth mindset about him. We want to we know that if you know him, then you know that you don't know enough about him. And we want to know that if you think you know all about him, then you probably don't know him very well at all. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we come to you as, uh, as learners. Uh, we come to you asking you to teach us uh, more about our high priest, more about our need for a priest, the one who would, who would give himself as a priest and as an offering uh, to take our sins away, that we might stand uh, before you, not pretending, not faking uh, that, uh, that examination, but actually passing it because of the virtue of another. Uh, Lord, thank you for, for Jesus who teaches us to, to grow and, and who welcomes us to, uh, to eat more, to drink more, to, to learn more, and to, uh, to become more and more like him. Lord, would you please find us faithful to do that? Would you uh, help us be more curious? Help us to to have the humility that comes uh, through knowing that we don't know all that there is to know yet. 
And Lord, as you do that, we pray that you'd get glory here at Tabernacle as a, as a community of learners, uh, a community of teachable teachers, and that you would give us opportunity to share what we've learned in ways that, uh, that give you a lot of glory. Uh, Lord, we pray for our entire church family, but we certainly do want to pray for several households in particular.